this evening we're talking about temperance. Temperance. What is temperance? Uh, you're probably uh, thinking of the temperance movement and trying to connect it in with that, right? The uh, stage of this country that actually outlawed alcohol. And uh, in today's day and age, we can't imagine you know, that our country ever did such a thing and can't imagine that it ever would have been a good thing. Um, you know, we quite like actually living in a country that uh, allows for people to uh, buy alcohol by their own conscience, but uh, that's not really at the core of of what temperance is. If you came here this evening thinking that you would be browbeaten and you know talked into a teetotaler lifestyle, that's not what we're after. In fact, we can hear that directly in the definition that we receive for temperance. Listen to this. Temperance is the virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasure. Okay, I wanna, I wanna say that again, then I wanna pull it apart, okay? Virtue, uh, temperance is the virtue that moderates, that's the first word that we're gonna talk about, the attraction of pleasure. So what we hear here first is, is that temperance is a virtue. Temperance is a virtue that does something. It moderates. It doesn't take something, pick it up, uh, desecrate it, and stash it away somewhere hidden. It moderates it. It, it seeks balance. It's seeking to bring things that are on the string, uh, extremes into the middle. It's moderating something. It's taking the tension between a desire for pleasure and then also the ways that those pleasures might make ruin of us and bringing us to the middle where that might be enjoyment, right? So it's, it's actually moderating something. But it's not moderating just any old thing. It's moderating the attraction of pleasure. For every human being, there is an attraction to pleasure. Now, there are some things that are not attractive to you. For, for some of us, we are not attracted to things like alcohol. We're not attracted to things like uh, food in such a way that we would be gluttonous. But we are quite attracted to uh, the kind of pleasure that comes by affirmation of others. And so we're willing to gossip about others so that we might take something that's private and enjoy the pleasure of knowing that we can share those things that are private with other people. For others, it may not be gossip. It may be uh, lust and uh, sensual kinds of pleasures that uh, grip you, that entice you on a regular basis, and you're not quite sure how to not just distinguish those altogether, but actually see them moderated in your life. And then finally, pleasure. Pleasure is this thing that we all know. It's hard to define. Pleasure is something that uh, God has actually ordained for us to experience. He didn't put us in this life to experience a uh, completely uh, rock-hard, affectionless kind of life. He actually created us with and for sensory pleasures, uh, relational pleasures, pleasures evermore, in fact, we are told. God is a God that desires pleasure for his people. Virtue that moderates that attraction of pleasure is temperance. This works in kind of two ways, as uh, I've you know, kind of studied and read about it. None of these, again, are any of my own ideas. I'm plagiarizing now millennia of thinkers on this, and so please don't attribute any of these thoughts to me. Very little of it are little you know, examples of things that I would put in there. But the rest of it comes from people like St. Thomas Aquinas or Plato and Aristotle, people that know how to see things much clearer than I do. But there are two ways. Uh, first is an emotional restraint, and then the second is the avoidance 
avoiding of excess. So the first is emotional constraint. So we want to actually talk about these things in terms of a biblical worldview. And so I want to give you an example of where we might see temperance by way of emotional restraint in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 14 verses 29 says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but the one who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Folly is just another word for foolishness. So the vice that we see here pitted against anger is the uh, vice of a hasty temper. And that hasty temper actually exalts something not just in people, but in the society and in the community that we live in, and that's foolishness. So if you have a really hasty temper, if you get mad easily, if you get angry about things that God is not angry about, you're going to make a wreck of your home. You're going to be in, uh, intemperate in your home. You're going to be an authoritarian. Your kids are going to exist at the whims of your anger. This is not a good thing. And so what we want to do is see that, uh, that this uh, hasty temper is intemperance, but whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Second, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, it says this, but your gentleness be evident to all. So this is not anger, it's not temper, it's just gentleness. It's your disposition towards people in life. And it ought be evident to all. So we could say that the vice here might be a harshness of personality, a severity of personality. For all of us, we know of someone who, just simply by their demeanor, uh, really creates an atmosphere around them of tyranny. There are people that I've seen in God's church that love Jesus, but just have a severe attitude towards others. People start walking on eggshells, as it were. It, it really kind of creates an unloving, uh, you know, uh, a, a place of unloving attitudes towards people. So we ought to be living in gentleness and letting that be evident to all. Similarly, Titus uh, chapter 9, verse 20, uh, 25, uh, Titus is reminded says, remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now, let me ask you this. If I asked you if there's the word courtesy in Scripture, you'd probably be, you know, it would be a hard thing to remember exactly where it was written. But listen to this again. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. I, I will confess that I'm not perfectly courteous towards all people. In fact, there are times where I speak evil of people and that I have a natural uh, you know, uh, disposition in my heart uh, towards um, dissension and towards quarreling, towards uh, defensiveness and these kinds of things. Yet in Titus, we're reminded that there is an emotional restraint that God's people are commanded to kind of take up. Okay, so temperance is an emotional restraint. It leads us towards things like a slowness to anger, a gentleness, a uh, avoiding of quarreling, a courtesy in our disposition towards all people. The second way that this plays out is an avoiding of excess. Okay, an avoiding of excess. So excess are those things that are on the extreme. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 30 says this, let there be no drunkards among you, or be not among the gluttonous eaters, for they will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. So we see here that there is, uh, that there is excess. 
So you can, in your conscience, uh, perhaps partake of alcohol, but if you are involved in drunkenness, it is a vice, and it's something that will actually have an effect, not just on you, but on the people around you. You will come to poverty, Slumber will clothe you with rags. If you're a gluttonous eater, the same thing is said of you. We need to avoid excess. We need to have temperance with the way that we approach food. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, All things are lawful for me. That's a quotation, by the way. There's an argument afoot in this uh, particular passage. So he's quoting someone. All things are lawful for me. Yeah, but not all things are helpful. That yeah, but is me, you know, putting that in there. So all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. There's an acknowledgement here in this passage that the things that we like, those pleasure receptors, bring things that we will be enslaved to. They can actually dominate us. Intemperance is that mediating force in our lives that tells us to take those pleasures and seek them in moderation rather than to excess. All things are lawful for me, but not all are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, uh, uses an actual illustration of this. It says, every athlete exercise self-control in all things. We all know those people that are very disciplined. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable one. So there is something in the Christian life that needs to avoid excess, avoid extremes. Now, for a lot of us, we do tend to think of uh, you know, this in legalistic terms, right? We're, we're thinking of temperance in terms of, okay, pastor, you're going to tell me the things do and do not do. But then when we start using words like moderation, when we talk about the mediation of pleasures, that's not at all what we're talking about. So temperance, is it a big no? Is it a don't enjoy, don't drink, don't experience? Temperance is about, one author says, giving us the ability to take delight in life's greatest goods. Okay, so temperance is not a no, it's a yes. It's yes, life's greatest goods are available to you, and as long as they are not done in excess or in a way that is sought out with uh, passion and emotion that takes over and drives you towards those things rather than the great good giver, then we can live lives of temperance, and it's good. St. Thomas Aquinas says this, God introduced the greatest amount of pleasure into the actions most necessary for human life. So he's going to make a list here, and I'm actually going to add a little bit, uh, very presumptuously, to St. Thomas Aquinas' list, just to make a point. He says, God introduced the greatest amount of pleasure into the actions most necessary for human life. So, so what is he really saying there before we get to the list? What he's saying is, is that God cares so much about pleasure that he attaches pleasure to the things that lead to the most amount of human flourishing. Okay, what are those things, St. Thomas Aquinas? The action related to the perseverance of, uh, to the preservation of the individual, namely food and drink. So God attaches pleasure in with food because it is necessary for human life. And he wants you to enjoy it. Okay, great. 
also the actions related to the pers uh, preservation of the species as a whole, namely sexual intercourse for us to propagate and enjoy. He attaches pleasure to that wonderful thing. I would go on to add uh, to the preservation of human relationships. He gives us the enjoyment of words and deeds. We actually get to serve and love and encourage one another with our words. Words are necessary. You can't live life without words. You can't build relationships without words. And you can't show or demonstrate love for another without deeds. And so he gives these good gifts to us to preserve human relationships. He also gives it for the preservation of our mind. So there are pleasures in seeking excellence, being a person that uh, takes pride in one's work, seeking to uh, grow and flourish as an individual, as a human being. But the preservation of the mind when you start thinking that you are so great needs to be met with the moderating force of humility in your life. So we, we are actually enabled to persevere in, in the presence of our mind with uh, things like humility and the things that we value. We uh, seek the preservation of our faith through personal discipleship and in the discipleship of our children. The preservation of our freedom, not to be dominated by our passions, emotions, or circumstances, but actually to uh, have a mediating force that allows us to live a life of dare. Uh, I even say freedom and flourishing in our wills. If we're dominated by other things, we're not living a free life. We're living a life of enslavement. Paul makes a, goes through great pains to associate those things with one another. The preservation of our freedom is something that we are to actually enjoy, not to be dominated by anything other than Christ's good and perfect will for us. God wants us to enjoy these and the other pleasures in this life, St. Thomas Aquinas says. Temperance enables enjoyment to take its proper place. We can see this very practically. If I go out, this is not my example, but if I go out tonight to meet Casina and I go down there and I'm like, ooh, chips, nom, 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 nom. Would you like more chips, sir? I would love more chips, nom, 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 nom. And I eat five bowls of chips on my own and all of the salsa, what am I not enabled to do? Uh, well, first of all, I feel terrible because I've just eaten a ton of corn, and, uh, and, and I'm not enabled to enjoy the meal that comes right after. There's been no moderation for enjoyment. It's a simple example, but we can extrapolate these things on out to the rest of our lives. Temperance enables enjoyment to take its proper place in our lives. So remember from last week that virtue enables the glory of God and the love of others. A lack of temperance prevents a man from loving her God or his spouse or their children or friends. When a man lacks self-control, when she becomes a slave to her desire for pleasure, when all of us seek selfish pursuits, then we are not free and we are not enabled for the glory of God or the love of others. But th this isn't even something that, we, that is self-evident just through Scripture. It's something that even Aristotle writes about. He says that a lack of temperance, so intemperance, is a childish fault. And this is really where every human starts, right? We all have kids and we love them and they're born and they grow into toddlers. And then these toddlers, for instance, uh, desire and have passions, but have no temperance. 
The toddler also lacks the agency to pursue every desire, so you then become the conduit for everything that they desire. So if it's uh, mommy, drink, daddy, food, and you don't get them what they want immediately, what happens? Oftentimes with intemperate toddlers, it's a meltdown on the floor. It's kicking, crying, screaming. I want that toy. That person took this away from me. What, part of the job of a parent is actually bringing temperance into our, the lives of our children in small ways and then in larger ones as they grow up. So Aristotle is right. This is a childish fault because uh, titlers terrorize the home until they either receive what they want and are satisfied or until they are disciplined and brought to temperance. But intemperance follows us into adulthood too. We just get more sophisticated about it. We don't say mommy want, we may be self-pity about the things that we don't have. Augustine says this about lust. He says, when I gave in to lust, a habit was born. So lust, giving into it, habit. When I did not resist the habit, it became a necessity. So he's, he's building a train of thought there. If you're giving in in small ways, if you're intemperate in small ways, then those desires build habits, and those habits build necessities, and then guess what? You're, you're falling into slavery. You're ruled over the passions and desires of your heart. So Augustine says this, and then Aquinas follows back up on it and says that temperance, intemperance, is a dehumanizing sin. Thomas Aquinas calls intemperance the most disgraceful vice, and he means that disgraceful. Okay, intemperance, two reasons. Intemperance is opposed to our dignity as a human. In creation, Christians believe that every man, woman, child, every unborn person who has ever you know, uh, lived in this world actually has his divine image placed on them. There is dignity that is given to us. Okay, so we are born in the image and likeness of God. We have this dignity, but intemperance comes in and rearranges those things. God gives the human being reason and will to rise above human passions, and when we don't, we diminish God's image. So Aquinas is making a very elegant uh, you know, argument here. What he's saying is, is that intemperance is disgracefully inhuman. But temperance is preserving and exalting and pursuing a divine image, a restored image, a redeemed image, a, a, a recreated, a resurrected image just like Jesus. Second, it says this, that in, uh, intemperance dims our reason and diminishes our will to do the good. So it's not just that it kind of, uh, you know, ruins uh, or opposes the dignity of human beings. It actually goes in and then starts deteriorating your desire for the good. This is why you can see uh, people in old age just completely give over to sin. If they were grumpy as a 30-year-old and then disgruntled as a 40-year-old, the idea that in their 70s and 
guarantees that they're going to be wonderful, amazing, happy, joyful human beings apart from Christ is very unlikely, right? We continue to see people continue to denigrate. Why? Because intemperance actually diminishes. It, dis, uh, it brings dysfunction. It disorients. It disintegrates our ability to reason and will to do the good. When we lack self-control, an, quote, array of virtues are undermined because we are enslaved to our passions. Okay, so that's, that's a kind of a study of what uh, temperance and intemperance is. Now what I want to do is I want to uh, actually turn towards uh, a few exercises that I want to do individually, quietly, and then also as groups, and then actually together as one big group, if you're willing this evening. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, describes the intemperance like this. It describes us like a city broken into and left without walls. I want you to imagine at the time that Proverbs was written, cities, you know, uh, you know, were surrounded by exterior walls to keep the people that were inside safe. Proverbs, Solomon, one of the wisest people that's ever lived, calls the intemperate person like a city and I want you to imagine the city. Now I want you to imagine that it's broken into and left without walls. The danger that is there, the vulnerability that is there. So it can start small with us individually. It can start with a little extra dessert. It can start with one more beer. It can start, start with a dollar spot extra at Target or uh, binging a series or scrolling incessantly. But then it can go deep. It can go deep into us. A desire for excellence or perfectionism without humility can result in soul crippling pride. So intemperance really matters. It matters in the small things and it matters in the big things.